that was very frustrating. I had several employers that were trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I make this work? How do I make my employee count work? I'm you know, having to hire people to sweep floors or that I don't normally do that because <laughs> you know, I don't have work, but I also have to maintain this, this employee level. So it's, uh, it, it, it was a stressful time to say the least. to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Verita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, there's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also, remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Since the middle of March, 2020, employers have been dealing with a whirlwind of information and loan opportunity and requirements related to the passage of laws under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act and the CARES Act, which was the federal government's response to provide, among other things, requirements for employers to provide paid sick leave for COVID-19 related reasons and to allow financial relief to eligible employers. Today, my guest is a friend and fellow professional, Robert Peterson of the Peterson CPA firm. Robert has been a licensed practicing certified public accountant for the past five years and was working as a civil engineer for the seven years prior to that with a national engineering firm. He received his bachelor's from the University of Houston and grew up in Pearland, Texas. Since my topic is COVID-19 payroll and taxes, I knew Robert as a CPA could help me weigh in on what has been going on with these payroll and tax issues during the COVID-19 pandemic and how this is affecting employers and employee payroll. We had an interesting discussion about these events and where we are today. And so I hope you enjoy this Legal Skinny episode of COVID-19 payroll and taxes. Welcome, Robert. It's good to be here, Trish. Yeah, I'm so glad you could join me today. Uh, I'm glad to be here. It's a slightly different format than what we're used to doing, but it's it'll be fun nonetheless. Yeah, we've done quite a few webinars together now. Just a couple. <laughs> okay, so uh, can you kind of give um, uh, the audience a little bit about your background? Sure, yeah. Um, my name is Robert Peterson. I'm a CPA um, in the Friendswood area. Work for a uh, family CPA firm. My 
dad and brother started a CPA firm about five years ago. And then I joined him about a year after that. So we've been doing this CPA and accounting thing for five years. My dad, of course, has been doing it for long before me, um, 30 plus years in, you know, in the CPA world. Uh, and, but I decided to join him. I came from a civil engineering background and we, I did the bridges, design bridges for about five or six, seven years. And when my dad decided to join, a, create a family business, I said, Hey, let's do that together. That sounds like fun. I like my family and I like working with them. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I don't know. The difference between building bridges and switching over to taxes, I'm thinking, is a little bit different. Uh, it's a little bit, but it's all just numbers. It's all, well, then there you go. There you go. Okay, so uh, the reason that you and I kind of know each other is since we both kind of primarily work with businesses, mm -hmm. uh, this has certainly been an interesting time to watch the laws uh, that have passed so quickly, of course, um, some pretty complicated pieces to them. I uh, was wondering just sort of, have you seen with employers and businesses a general frustration with so much so fast having to to try to figure out uh, first the taxes, you know, the payroll issues, you know, what is kind of the feel that you've gotten from them? So it's one of those things that they, the frustration at the payroll and taxes level almost doesn't show up because of all the other frustrations that are happening right now related to COVID and closing down and changing other things that they have to do, whether it's, you know, these new procedures related to you know, PPP or, or PPE rather, or uh, other things and the payroll and stuff. I, I found that they, they just sort of work themselves, they work through them. Um, the good thing is, is that really a lot of the payroll things can be fixed as far as the recording side and claiming some credits and things like that in July, sort of after a lot of that has ha worked itself out. Um, but it, it is very frustrating for the, for business owners as the laws change on at some points there weekly, you know, and it, it, it was, it really can be troublesome and adding stress. You know, I had a couple of clients that were, are we going to open in two months period? And, you know, fortunately we were able to just work those out, but you know, that kind of thing was certainly happening fairly often. Yeah. I felt like during those, the, that beginning sort of time period when we got into March, when we first started seeing some of the laws pass that there yeah. was this sort of uh, overwhelming stress. And then at least here in Texas, there was a shutdown of course uh, where they're looking at, what to do with the employees, what to yeah. do about the business, what to do about the lack there of customers or the restrictions of whether them being essential or not. That that seemed to sort of compound with an incredible amount of stress, as well as trying to learn how to be in compliance with all these laws. Yes, the, I, I definitely agree with that, with the adding the layer of actually changing the laws and who was you know, for who was actually, who the laws were actually applicable to. You had a bunch of business owners that didn't really have to even think about some of these that now all of a sudden had to think about them um, because of how drastically they changed. And that was a tough spot for them, for sure. Yeah. For us too, um, but in, in a lot of ways. I know, I took a lot of late night calls during that time period. <laughs> uh, weekend calls, trying to figure it out with them. But the, um, 
Now, obviously, you and I are here, you know, uh, talking in educational purposes. We're not trying to give any legal or tax advice. Uh, uh, we're just, you know, trying to start the conversation with employers if they haven't thought about some of these issues, kind of um, to sort of think about what kind of conversations they need to be having if they're going to be working with a CPA. Yeah, the idea is sort of to provide a, a good set of good base level of questions and vocabulary to bring up with uh, your professionals, uh, legal or tax or, or bookkeeping or accountant, CPA, whoever it is you want to just sort of, that's kind of the idea is to give you some vocabulary. Or they could just go in the wild west and do, do what they may, right? That's the other alternative. <laughs> they can and we'll try and fix it later. <laughs> There you go. Okay, so so let's go all the way back to March 18th when Congress had passed and President Trump signed the Families First Coronavirus Act, so uh, referred to as the FFCRA. Had a bunch of stuff in there actually, but some of it, uh, which was impending immediately on employers, was that on April 1st, 2020, various parts of uh, the U.S., including most of Texas, did not have paid sick leave law, um, paid sick leave. Um, and wasn't required for employers. And now under the new FFCRA, as a reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic, they were these employers are now gonna have to provide this sort of leave. The two types of leave, of course, being the paid sick leave, which is the up to 80 hours or two weeks of leave. And then the extended FMLA, FMLA which I know you were referencing earlier, leave up to an additional 10 weeks, which now applies to our under 50 Yep. employers, which was, I think, like a shock in general. <laughs> they were like, the whole time I've been trying not to have 50 employers, so I didn't have to deal with the FMLA. You had a lot of 49 and a half employee companies. 49 and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so uh, let's just start there uh, before we get into what happened right after the FFCRA. But can you give me sort of the breakdown of the tax credit um, that's allowed if you do end up having to pay, uh, do the paid sick leave with any of your employees and how, how does that work with payroll? I'll tell you right up front, Robert, um, when I first started having conversations with employers uh, and they were trying to give this leave and they were trying to figure it out with the payroll companies, the big payroll companies, they weren't agreeing to work it out, the two thirds rate. They didn't want to be responsible for calculating the number. And um just because it was so new, right? And then yeah. these, were, these are really established payroll companies that kind of were like, we want to think it through, there's processes, you know, and all of a sudden this law shows up. Well, normally they have 60, 90, 100 days to process a new cha payroll change and argue about it and fix it out internally. And this time they had a week or two weeks, I guess, um, before they before it was coming up and starting. So go let, give me a little insight on that. Tell me um, how that all works. So the payroll, the payroll credits, you could really claim them in sort of two different ways, and you can still claim them two different ways. Um, one is you can file a form. It's a form seventy two hundred, and you can do that at, as you get the pay as the people are out and you're paying them. You can file for those credits um, as an advance. And you can do that, you know, weekly or whatever. Again, uh, that would be one of those ones where you work with your, whoever your payroll company is, um, and sort of fill to fill that out and claim those credits. You mail it into the IRS, and they send you back a check, or they, or you don't have to send in uh, your check, your payroll deposits, if that was the case. Um, 
And that's one way. The other way is to do it on your quarterly tax returns on your 941s that you do, that you're going to file on a quarterly basis with employees. And you just walk, work through that sheet or again, have your accountant or uh, payroll provider work through that sheet. Of course, the key there is that you have to let them know who has out, who has been out. And you have to make sure that you documented that throughout the course of uh, this last quarter, whether that's out for, um, because they were looking for, because they were, they thought they might have COVID and they were looking to get tested and they were out sick because of that. Or if you had people that actually got it, they were out sick because of that. Or if you had people that were, uh, that didn't have childcare or they had to, somebody that they needed to take care of and they weren't able to work because they, someone in their household had COVID and they had to be quarantined for however long, even if they didn't get it, all of those kind of things. And you need to document each different set because um, the credits are applied differently. Uh, real briefly, the credits are um, for, and basically summarize, if you, if you were personally sick with COVID, or, or sorry, your employee was personally sick with COVID, the employer can get um, credit for their wages plus health, their health care costs, basically the employer side health insurance, up to $511 a day um, for those two weeks. So up to $5,110 per employee. And then after those two weeks, you have the extended FMLA and that one is at the lower rate of that's the two thirds that you were just mentioning the two thirds of their normal salary up to $200 a day or $10,000 for the year um, is sort of the maximum there. And so they just got to work through those issues and sort of talk them through with your employer. The nice thing about this is this go, is going to be in effect through the end of the year. So if, you have somebody that's out for two weeks or four weeks um, and you can, they're only gonna claim two weeks of this FMLA pay, then in next quarter, they're out for four weeks for the something else because somebody else in their family or their kids weren't, didn't, couldn't get back into school or their school set, shut down or whatever. You'll still be able to get that credit in that next period as well um, up, to the, up to the limit, of course. Right, figuring out how to categorize that and sort of bank all of that and make sure you have an understanding of whether it's been used or not used, you know, another added documentation layer that they kind of have to look at. Uh, is there other employer credits available under the CARES Act, which is really where this kind of um, uh, came in right after the FFCRA? Right, there is actually one more um, uh credit that I'm aware of for the CARES Act, which is the employee retention credit. Um, and this one, which if you didn't get a PPP loan, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure, um, you can claim this for anyone that you paid wages to uh, if your revenues dropped by 50% or more over the quarter, or if you're, you were shut down um, by government order. So during the time period of government order that you were shut down and you had an employee that was, that you were paying 
you can get a credit for that for 50% of that employee's wages up to $10,000 for the year. So it's up, up to a $5,000 credit per employee that you're paying. So it's actually a very substantial credit. Um, if it works, that's, this is one, that's one of those ones that's a little bit, uh, tricky to figure out if you're eligible. So you'll want to, you know, look at, talk with your payroll company and figure that out. But, um, yeah, <laughs> as is all this, really. But... As is all this, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, one thing that you and I saw, which was sort of this influx as it came in, we were watching the laws pass, and then there was the sort of drop of the effectiveness of the date of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which provided for these paid sick leave opportunities, right. you know, including the child care not being available or the school being closed or individuals in the family or yourself being having COVID. That sort of two weeks leave or the extended FMLA up to 10 weeks and additional leave, that all sort of was passed on March 18th, but didn't yeah. go into effect till April 1st, right? Right, right. In the middle of that time period before it became effective, that, you know, Congress was like on a whirlwind there and went and passed the CARES Act on March 27th, right? Yeah. yeah. Which was the like the money act, I guess, <laughs> if you want to call it that. That was a $4 trillion act. I mean, that that's as good a name for it as any. <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. But uh, I think that in the end of the day, there was a lot of money that was offered out, right? Um, yeah. And there was a, a, like, a, like a rush to apply for this money, which I think, sort of distracted from the FFCRA, which is equally um, uh, changing because for me, and looking at it, you know, there's some exposure and liability to not giving that type of leave appropriately to these employees. So so as everyone's running out to the to the banks to get the approval for this, the CARES Act, uh, you know, it was an interesting time period. Like, do you have any thoughts on uh, how the CARES CAC came in and how, um, you know, especially getting into that PPP loan initially, which is the attractive forgiveness piece. Right. Well, it's interesting that you say that because arguably the FMLA and the FFCRA, those are the ones that actually would change how you did business potentially. Those are the ones you needed to pay attention to. The PPP loan was just some extra money, which is essential for business as well. But, you know, it was a distraction in a lot of ways, I think, for uh, from the compliance side of things. And we you know, had to continually remind clients to sort of stay up to date on that. And uh, fortunately it's settled, that's part settled down a little bit over the past period. And, but getting into that PPP loan, you had a lot of people that were trying to get it as quickly as possible. And um, the rules were changing every, every other week, it seemed like um, as far as who was eligible and you know how much they could get and it was very little clarity <laughs> well there was a whole like i think with the with the forgiveness part that okay people heard it was forgivable but then it was like big question mark like how what how <laughs> like, and we spent weeks you and i talking about this and we'd be like yep me and you and your dad and we were just like uh so we're still waiting on that and nobody seemed concerned about that when taking the money by the way they were like they said it's forgivable. We're all in. Like, let's we'll, we'll figure it. We'll hopefully figure it out as like as we go along, and uh, and, and get. The, we'll deal with the document. Well, with, not deal with the documentation later. You had to deal with the documentation then. Yeah. Um, and now, if you still have a PPP loan out, but you know, you, you deal with the gathering and figure out what they want. Later. I don't think they knew what they want. I think that's... they did not. 
<laughs> I think everyone thought it should be forgivable. The, the, across the board, uh, there was an agreement on that. And then they were like, we'll just leave this to the Department of Treasury to come back later and lay it every, out. Every banker I talked to during that time is like, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, that was, now granted, this was April, the first two weeks in April, where you got a little bit better idea of what's going on and what they're needing, what they're going to be wanting now. A little bit. Yeah, it was exciting for sure. I, I'm glad I wasn't a banker at that time because uh, I think they had so many emails they couldn't even respond to, uh, you know, regularly when you could get, especially your local banker, be able to get a hold of your local banker pretty right. easily. They were in, inundated with, um, and, you know, well, all the banks were carrying things differently. So that was a little confusing too. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those is like, you know, normally you, you have bankers hours, right? That's a thing. <laughs> That's right. Are, from nine to four or whatever that is, is, is bankers hours. And you can't get a hold of a banker any, any time after that. Our bankers that we were working with, uh, we were often getting emails and responses from emails after nine and 10 o'clock at night for those two or three weeks. So they were, <laughs> they were not working bankers hours <laughs> in that time period, for sure. So let's talk about kind of the CARES Act. It was a big, huge act, like compared to the FFCRA, um, it was hundreds and hundreds of pages. Yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff in there that we're not gonna talk about here today. The PPP loan was in there and and the PPP loan and the EIDL loan were both kind of in there. And, and, and yeah. some people applied for both and some people applied for one or the other, you know, um, can you talk a little bit about the differences between those? Sure. Um, so the EIDL loan was, a, it definitely confused things for people, but an EIDL, the EIDL was a loan offered by the SBA. It's always been a loan offered by the SBA. What the CARES Act did was they added a grant to the front end of it. So they added this up to $10,000 grant to the EIDL loan um that was you didn't have to pay back and you didn't even have to take the loan it was it was a grant it was an advance on the loan but you didn't have to take the loan if you don't want to um and so that that was sort of what the cares act added was this eidl grant that sounds pretty good robert i would sign up for that you definitely should <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was fantastic of course that when the first they they issued it in two tranches of money they did 60 million 60 billion in the first uh when they passed it in the on march 27th and they did it again when they passed it again in april they added another 60 billion the first one was gone in about 72 hours uh, the second one, I'm not sure that one there, that one's definitely gone, but I think that one took like a week <laughs> to get for that money to go away. Um, and you can still get the grants, or sorry, you can still get the loans, the EIDL loans, but the grants are, the money's all gone there. And the, the EIDL loan is not necessarily an unattractive loan. It's, you know, it's a 3.75% 30 year loan. Um, so if you if your business is in a spot where they need some extra capital and maybe they don't can't get great options somewhere else, it's a great a great opportunity to sort of get a some a few months of uh, working capital to help work that to help make it through this time of, of fluctuation. The PPP loan, on the other hand, is based on 
your employment and how many people and how much you were paying your employees. And the PPP loan was pretty much the idea was to pay your employees and keep your employees with a job and to move them forward and to help the employers do that and to keep those relationships intact. Um, and I think it was actually pr fairly successful at that um, as far as helping employees and employers maintain that connection as much as possible. Uh, and then of course the PPP loan is forgivable um, as long as you pay it, spend it on qualified uh, expenses, which are rent and uh, payroll costs, which is basically wages and uh, retirement benefits and health insurance. Um, and there's a few other things that are a little bit more minutia than we probably want to go into on this particular <laughs> podcast, but yeah. So, okay. So the forgiveness, that sounds really good, right? And I know a yeah. lot of people were attracted to that, even though like we just joked, we didn't know exactly what that entailed. We did know at some point that they had to keep some employees. Like that seemed to be the key. <laughs> they, ha they have to, that was a key for the PVP loan is you had to maintain your employment status um the basic your the goal was you had to keep the same number of employees through this pan through this the time period that you had the loan as opposed to uh the similar time period last year in 2019 or if you weren't in business in 2019 the first couple months of 2020 um you basically just would value was you have to keep the same number of employees to get this fully forgiven now, and this is where the confusion came in a lot was because there uh, was a provision in there that said, if you had the same number of employees on June 30th that you had in those period in those time periods, um, then you don't have to maintain your employment throughout the whole period, which was a super confusing statement for them to add on there as far as how that's going to be implemented. Um, and so that's kind of where a lot of the confusion came. As it turned out, that's basically what they did is if you let anybody go because of the pandemic in March, between March 6th and April 27th, as long as you hired that same number of people back and you had them in that week of June 30th, well, they've changed it to December 31st now, but if you had them in that week, um, they were not gonna worry about how you got them or where, who was employed during that time period. Um, and they basically just sort of gave you a pass on that restriction. Um, again, so if you have them as through January or through December 31st now, they have sort of relaxed that requirement quite a bit. So that, that is actually very good for the employers as far as working through the, especially with the second wave coming through the Texas right now, you know, a lot more for employers are kind of shutting down and working through what that looks like. Yeah some of the employers seem to struggle getting employees back because at that time the major unemployment provisions that were being allowed under the cares act which which also sounded good to people that were staying home uh that didn't want to go back to work were very uh you know we're telling employers i i'm not going to go ahead and go back to work because i'm making more money at home through the unemployment uh you know i think that was frustrating to the employers that were trying to comply yes. with with the ppp 
that was very frustrating. I had several employers that were trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I make this work? How do I make my employee count work? I'm you know having to hire people to sweep floors or that I don't normally do that, you know, because um, I don't have work, but I, I also have to maintain these this employee level. And so it's um, it, it it was a stressful time to say the least. Um, until that, and that, because that guidance didn't come out until the last week in May or something like that, as far as how that was going to actually work. Um, so it, it was, you had a whole, you had eight weeks, nine weeks of people actually having a PPP loan and they're trying to keep employees during that time period where they, it's like, well, if I can't keep the employee, then I can't get, I won't get this forgiven. Well, what do I, how do I make this work? sort of working through that those whole things were was very stressful for people so if there's you know if they went through the time period and was was the let's talk a little bit about how to get the forgiveness i know eventually we saw an application come out on the forgiveness uh were you know do people have to run as soon as the eight weeks are over i know there's now a possibility of not just being within those eight weeks so you know how do you strategize that and you know you don't have to tell me all your secrets but uh, if you could kind of just give us some information about that, that'd be great. Well, I'm not too worried about that because unfortunately, fortunately, this is one of those where it is very business specific as far as what makes sense to you, uh, as far as when to kind of apply for this forgiveness. Now, the one thing is that it's almost a moot point as far as when, at least at the moment, because none of the banks are accepting applications for forgiveness right now. Um, and one of the reasons that is, is because there's some conversations and legislation that's sort of working its way through the system, whether it's uh, the SBA's guidance again, or will actually, whether this will actually be a con congressional law, is they're talking about making every loan under 150000 just automatically forgivable, and you don't have to do anything to get it forgiven. They're just going to wipe it away, which was great news for a lot of people as far as having to worry worry about that now presumably if there's issues of fraud or other things that that's will still get looked at um if those are ever concerns but and that the banks are right now are just telling everybody don't worry about applying right now don't we're not going to look at it right now we have a client right in right now that has the application into their bank and the banker just said, yeah, we, we got it. We're not looking at it. We're not starting it. We're waiting. <laughs> that, that kind of makes sense on the bank's perspective. Think about all the less paperwork they'd have to do if they get it this. Does. It, it, it really does. And so you can't be too mad at it. And from a the business side of thing, it's not that big a deal because, uh, you know, something we didn't mention about the PPP loan is you don't make payments on it until the forgiveness part has happened. So the only thing you would make payments is on is anything that is not forgiven. So if you wait an extra three months or it's not that big a deal, it's not costing you anything, but a little bit of headache and a little bit of attention, which there is value to that certainly, but it's not um, super impactful on the businesses right now, which is why I think the banks aren't having a problem with there's not a rioting against there's, the bank. Right. There's, there's not there's not a backlash right now. 
which is yeah i i think some parts probably like you and me maybe this sort of like um like things tied up with the bow of course you know you'd like to know if you took this money that it, you got the check mark it was fully forgivable there's definitely probably some people out there going i would like to know if <laughs> i'm sure i've talked to a few of them <laughs> and then there are some that are like, this sounds good. We'll just deal with that another day. Deal with another day. Yeah. And well, and the nice thing about it is with this PPP loan, $150,000 loan is well above the median loan. So a, sig a significant portion of the loans are just going to sort of go away, which is going to, which is going to be good for everybody else that had these loans, because that means the SBA is not going to be uh, swamped with all these smaller loans and they'll just be able to work the larger loans more quickly and, you know, work through those, uh, whatever documentation that they decide that they need, um, specifically for each, each employee, each loan that they have. So just real quick, I want to make sure that we touch on this, this, there's that little limitation, right? With your PPP, if you, if you have a PPP loan under the CARES Act and then you're also giving FFCRA leave that you can't get that tax credit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I can talk about that. And you can get the tax credit. Um, the, the limitation is that you can't use the um, wages you paid to get that tax credit as part of your PPP loan uh, eligible expenses. So really, uh, when they changed this to give you changed it from an eight week window to a 24 week window, it kind of makes a lot of that stuff. Uh, like, not quite the wrong word, but it's like easier to like uh, bookkeep it correctly, I guess, to, to where you could work it out. And I was curious about that with the bigger window. It would seem like the whole point is that you want them to give the leave under the FFCRA. So there seems to be, a, but that you don't want them to double dip. I think that's sort of the that's the idea is we don't want you to get, we don't, we don't, what they were trying to avoid, especially with the original eight week window, I think was that they didn't want you to you you know, have everybody off for COVID something COVID related FMLA related and get paid. And then the employer get the credit back for that. So they have effectively no outlay, but then they get to use that money to get the PPP loan forgiveness. So they get, effectively income for spending that money. And I, you know, completely understand and agree with that. That's not how that should have worked. <laughs> so that's very good. Um, but given the 24 week period, it's much easier. People were having trouble with the eight week period of spending all the money, the 24 week period. There's not, it's the money that they got was based on 10 weeks of, of payroll given 24 weeks of time, that's, it's really easy to spend 10 weeks of payroll in 24 weeks. If you're, I think a lot of employers figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one got easy. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things about this PVP loan is that at the very beginning, things were, uh, stressful and highly uh, specific on what was needed and what was required and what was requested. And sort of as time has gone on, they've lowered the requirements and broadened the scope and generalized the things that are needed. So I think that is very, is very good for the employer, employee too, but in the employer um, as far as being able to actually 
get these credits that they, you know, are entitled to uh, based on based on those based on those laws. I feel like um, the rush to get the money in the first PPP loan um, uh, series uh, was like the toilet paper rush on the grocery store. Like it was just everybody was like, I don't know if I need it, but I'm going to take it. So like, let's get it. And then they ran out of the money. And then it was like, oh, my God, they ran out of the money. And then the next set of money came in. And so I guess what I'm wondering here, Robert, is what happened? Is there still money left? Like now that we're sort of past the sort of everyone running to get all the toilet paper out of, you know, the local grocery store is, is, is there still money left for the PPP? Can you still get that? As of uh, two Here. weeks ago, there was $120 billion left in the PPP loan. So there was, and that's out of, I think 560, I think is where it ended up as far as the total, the total amount. So a significant portion of the PPP uh, expenditures are still available to be gotten. Now, people only have until August 8th, 2020 to apply for that money and to get a PPP loan. So they're running out of time to make it happen. And it's already been extended from, it used to be June 30th and they extended it to August 8th. Um, so there is, there is some time, but if you, if you haven't got one yet and you still want to get one, you need to get on that. And you, it, it might be tough to find a bank. A lot of banks aren't even accepting them anymore. <laughs> but there's a reflection of how they feel about what happened with the uh it really <laughs> is <laughs> uh, so anyway um the so say you already took a ppp loan what else is out there money wise you kind of touched a little bit about on how the idl has always been there but the grant isn't um but what else is out there say you're through your ppp loan and you still need a little more money because of the way the industry and the economics of it all is coming together Sure. Obviously, the EIDL loan that I mentioned earlier, and the EIDL loan is one that you can apply for. Um, and then you can, if you spend the money, you know, generally they give you money for about two months worth of working capital. If you get to week six and it looks like you still aren't going to have the money, they have indicated that they're willing to give you another EIDL loan for another two months worth of working capital. So you can sort of up to the limit of $2 million. Um, you can sort of work your way through that on a couple month by couple month basis, um, if that makes sense for your business, of course. Um, and then another one that's sort of related is a regular SBA loan. If you can get in there and get that done, again, this is one that you're going to need to move really fast on. Um, because if you can get a regular SBA loan closed by September 27th, then the federal government is going to make those first six months worth of payments for it for you. Um, so that's another one that is. That sounds good. That's very good. So it's another <laughs> one that you want to get done. But if you've, if you've have done any work with the SBA, you know, that uh, what it, would that be now is uh, 60 days to 27th or 65 days or so till the 27th. That's, super fast as far as the SBA, getting the SBA loan is concerned. So it's another one that you want to get. It's a lot of paperwork with that one. It's Robert. a lot of paperwork. You want to get all of, you want to have all of your stuff together. You don't want to be, have to go back and forth. You want to get all your documents that you're going to need and apply the first time and get it done the first time. You don't want to have to re, you don't want to have to wait for your bank to come back um, or anything like that. Um, 
So you know, that'd be one of those ones where you talk to your banker ahead of time and say, hey, what are you going to need? And then you make sure that you have everything they ask for and there's nothing, you know, don't skimp on anything. Just sort of get it all together quickly and get it over and you have a shot at getting those first six months of your SBA at least paid for. That's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. That before we kind of wrap up here, do we have do you have any thoughts on audits of any of this stuff that we just talked about? General audits, like what does that look like? Maybe maybe an employer's listening here and they've never been through an audit and they don't know what does it look like. Does the IRS knock on your door? Like, do you have any any guidance to share in that realm? We we could talk a little about the, about the sort of basics. There is what's generally going to happen in that situation is you're going to get a letter in the mail. If you're talking about an IRS audit, you're going to get a letter yeah. in the mail, and um, they're going to say, "Please send us these documents." Um, or if they are going more deep, they might be doing a bank audit, in which case they're going to be like, "Here, let me talk to your who, who do I need to talk to in your in, in your business that I need to walk through." And then they're in that case, they're going to look at your bank statements and all those things and say. All right. Well, where did this money come from? Where did that money come from? And you know, you, you know, they'll go line by line. So audits can be very stressful and intensive, as far as in a general sense. Now, as it relates to the PPP loan, um, I think the audits on those are going to be uh, similar in that you're going to have to justify every transaction that you have that you use to get to your PPP loan forgiveness numbers. And so you're going to definitely want to have uh, all of your paychecks and all of your utility bills and all of your rent agreement, rental agreements and all of those things that would, that can document what you spent that money on and how you spent it. You know, you don't want to have any uh, subpar rental agreements or things like that. That sounds sketchy. No, you don't want to have that. <laughs> I mean, that's just general good business advice. But, <laughs> but especially in this situation, you don't want to have any of those verbal agreements, which are per completely fine under normal circumstances, but you want to go ahead and document those verbal agreements and have things in place that can substantiate them. So if you get the IRS letter in the mail, you don't just put that in the drawer and close it and like... They, I'm assuming they keep sending letters. They will keep sending letters and eventually they will just start taking your money. That <laughs> uh, probably sounds about right with the IRS. So, yeah. If you ever see the word lean on an IRS notice, that's when you get scared. <laughs> Good. Hopefully nobody listening here Hopefully. lives to have that happen. <laughs> that, that is the plan. You know, if you respond to the first letter, you're, never gonna, you're not going to see that. Um, if, if you're responsive, generally speaking, they, they'll work with you eventually eventually all right i like that well i really appreciate you being on here do you mind before we finish up if we do the legal skinny rundown oh sure sure that sounds like fun okay so beach or mountains um i've never really been to the mountains so i'm gonna go with beach all right elvis or the beatles uh i'm gonna go uh beatles on that most influential book you've read uh, Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right, dead or alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Oh, you know, which would not fail to entertain would be a 90s version of Dennis Rodman. 
to a current version of Dennis Rodman would not be would not fail to be an entertaining dinner guest. I think that's probably about right with Dennis Rodman. So uh, I agree, an entertaining gentleman for sure. Uh, finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on payroll and taxes during COVID-19 pandemic for employers? I think the skinny on that is uh, be compassionate to your employees and do what's right and then document their responses and their actions as it relates to the COVID virus, whether they're sick or their family sick or um, they're having to take care of what's the impact on their clients, on their employees and you know, document that, but then be compassionate for them as well. I love that. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can see my uh, our website on the screen. Um, that's a great way to get in touch with us. That has all of our contact information. Um, our phone number is 281-482-1240. You can always just give us a call and talk to anybody in the office. Uh, we got about seven CPAs here and you know we're, Still accepting new clients, always. But <laughs> even if you just want some advice or some uh, conversation, we're, we're always happy to do that. Yeah, and for people listening that can't see it on the YouTube channel, it's cpapeterson.com. Thanks, so, Rich. I, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Thanks again, Robert, for joining me. You're welcome. I, it's been a pleasure. So that's Legal Skinny on COVID-19 payroll and taxes. So we hope you have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also, check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer for the employer. Also, disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.